Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Atlantic Bushcraft Adventures. Coming to you tonight on a Thursday night, which I think is the first time we've ever... No, no, we were on a Thursday nope. night one other time, weren't we? Yep. Okay. We, we so have anyway, done this before. We haven't missed a week yet. Uh, last night no. we did have uh, some technical difficulties there. So we did there. miss one week. What's that? We did take, I think, one or two weeks off last year. Maybe. I can't remember now, Maybe. to be perfectly honest with you. But in any case... Um, last night we had some technical difficulties there as, uh, I've been kind of throwing photos up there on our Facebook page. You folks may have noticed there's been a bit of snow on this side of the, the, the country. You know what I mean? And we've been getting hammered storm after storm after storm. And the internet went down. The East Link trucks are out driving around today and they got us back up and running. So we're all good to go again. Uh, so tonight, Ben, you, we were chatting and we're going to be talking a little bit about spring camping and some, uh, some other stuff that you got there and some other things, because we got kind of the two extremes on either end of the country here. You yourself, you're kind of the opposite of what I'm having. You guys haven't had a lot of precipitation. You guys may be getting into droughts and stuff when it comes to time to spring. As we're over here, we've gotten so much precipitation. We've taken it from the rest of the freaking country. And you know, once it melts, we're going to have, like, mass floods. Already talking about how this is all going to roll out in places like Truro, which I'm, I know you know about there, Ben, but if uh, none of our listeners out there are familiar with it, Truro is a lower-lying town in Nova Scotia. Uh, they're worried there's going to be some serious damages from the flood and stuff like that, right? Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. I mean, and it's not that we haven't had the precipitation out here. What we haven't had is a cold enough weather for it to freeze and stay as snow. So when I drive home, I can see the mountains. Most of them are still pretty brown and green and not white. But yeah, you so guys haven't got snow much this year anyway. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we had a one snowfall, melted pretty quick. Even the mountains didn't really hold that much. I don't think skiing has been great this year. Not that I tried, but it's one of those things, you know, it's... It's going to be a bit of a problem. They're talking already this summer. How are we going to conserve water? Is there going to be enough water in the river? And this is a real concern. And the flip side, you guys have, what, four feet of snow now? Oh, man, it's... I, I don't know. We were trying to figure out the official numbers. We think Cape Breton got somewhere around 140 to 160 centimeters just in the first storm, plus another 10 to 20 last two days. Here, mm. we've gotten somewhere around 120, 140 centimeters, and then another 20 centimeters over the last two days. Uh, it has mm. been going up a little bit in temperature, so, like, the, the sun is hot this time of year, as I'm sure you know there, Ben. So even when it's below freezing, the sun is hot enough, it's still melting the snow down just from radiant heat a little bit. Um, so it's it's been fluctuating, but, like, right outside my house here, it's still about chest high. So there's still four feet of snow out there. You know what I mean? We've had more than that because it was clearly over my head in the photos I put up. But it's now down to, a, I say manageable, but it's down to like four feet, which is at least a little more manageable than it was as it's getting moved away and packed away. But yeah, once this stuff starts to melt, man, that's a ton of water. You know what I mean? A centimeter roughly equals a millimeter of rain. So if you get a centimeter of snow, it's roughly the same as getting a millimeter of rain so at 150 let's say somewhere between 140 160 millimeters between here and cape breton we're looking at like what uh 160 mils of rain like that that's a lot of rain man <laughs> yeah no it's 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 gonna definitely be an issue um and and that's a real thing and like if the rivers are frozen in a mountain and there's any blockages when it when the, the ice breaks, if it dams up, and this has happened 
along you know along the Shuvi River there in Nova Scotia is where I've seen it. But even Newfoundland, I think, got hit today, or you know, seen some stuff on Facebook. Yeah. If these ices jam and the rivers back off any amount, then you can flood a lot of area. And there's areas that regularly flood in, in Nova Scotia. So this spring could be a very interesting time if anyone wants to get out and do some camping uh, or or bushcrafting, uh, because it's something to really consider, you know, what can we do? And even like when normally when you camp, you camp close to water. But if you don't know what's going to happen overnight, that's a huge concern. Well, I mean, for me, one thing that's coming to my mind is, you know, waterfalls where you and I went, I'm probably going to avoid that area for a little while, just in case the higher areas decide to dump a bunch of water down into those lakes, which dumps down to that river. And then all of a sudden I wake up literally almost underwater on like the time I thought I was and wasn't this time I actually could be. Well, and so I used to have a cabin on the side of a river. And one winter we had a lot of snow and the ice broke and then the ice dammed. And it flooded an area and it flooded under my cabin. It didn't touch my cabin. My cabin was up on sort of blocks. Uh, but when it refroze, the the legs of the cabin were on the ice. And then it basically the ice breaks again. And if anyone's never experienced this, ice breaking is quite an event. And it, I've yet to really, I've seen it the before and after. And before it's just a frozen river. And afterwards, there's huge chunks of water or, of ice on either side of the river and nobody like if you ever watch it because you can see it there's videos and stuff of it the ice kind of like cracks and gets lifted and there's minor flooding and stuff and this is how it's all piled up on the banks and uh when it happened it actually picked our cabin up and pushed it out onto the road and there was no damage to me but if you were near the river when that happened you may you know there's a lot of stuff happening at once and you could easily get caught up into that and not get free or get safe. So yeah, it's in the springtime when it's liable to have like freezing and thawing and, and things like that. You really want to avoid anywhere that could flood or anywhere that that ice would affect your camp. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it doesn't take much. Like you said, a little broken ice upriver, if it finally decides to let go, all of a sudden you got this like massive wall of ice just flowing down the river. And if you're clamping close to it, uh, as you were saying, this ice, as it breaks up, it forms into chunks, and the chunks push up on top of other chunks, and now you got all this pushing down, and it almost kind of comes down like this living organism. And I have seen it like this more usually around the ocean, I'm not going to lie, but it comes in and it kind of like moves out and spiders out, and I, the first thing is, oh, that's kind of cool, but then you got to remember the actual power behind this stuff. Uh, something that I remember is way back, uh, well, probably like... 2004-ish, 2003, 2004, uh, down at the fire department, funny enough, I'm wearing a shirt, um, we did some ice rescue training, and this is when we just started getting into the ice rescue and it started becoming a bigger thing. I, I guess it must have been 2003. Anyway, uh, we usually do our training on a closed-off harbor. That way we don't have, like, uh, the massive tides and stuff. It's still tidal waters, but it just kind of goes up and down. You don't get the waves and things like that. And we were doing our ice training over there, and then we decided, hey, we'll go over to the pack ice or the cake ice or whatever you want to call it. It's this broken up ice on the open side of the ocean, and let's see what it's like to do stuff in there. 
And honestly, me and another firefighter, we were the senior people at the time. We went out, we we're like, we're going to try it and just see if this is safe and what we think. We were out there for like 10 minutes and we said, absolutely not. If we ever get a call and we have to deal with stuff like that, that is now becoming a specialty rescue because <clears throat> this ice moves. And we're not talking like little pieces of ice. Even at one or two pounds, the stuff can damage you pretty bad. We're talking like thousand pound blocks of ice you know what i mean there's no stopping that if a wave pushes that it's not like you're gonna nudge it out of the way you are the lowest common denominator and it's gonna go into you as many times as it wants yeah no i mean the the the, the forces involved when ice starts cracking and piling up on itself and water builds up behind it and pushing it you, you are talking with you know like it picked up an entire cabin and moved it 50 60 feet with seemingly no effort um, and that's not the most impressive thing. Then I watch big trees, like you know, foot diameter trees sheared completely off by the by the weight of the ice when it came down. Right? Like, well, think landslide. That's what I think of these ice flows as. It's kind of like a landslide, but it's made of water. <laughs> you know what I mean? Same things are coming into effect. You're getting a lot of moving material with massive forces pushing it along. Uh, so from yeah. the comments here, we have a couple people just saying hi to Nomad, uh, Danny, Red Sand Adventures, RM Shoots joining us again. So RM Shoots says, hello, old friends. Spring in Florida means going between 40 and 60 degree nights and 60 to 80 degree, degree days. Sorry about that, folks. I hiccuped. Uh, and that's Fahrenheit, of course. But I mean, those are pretty extremes. We get stuff like that here in Nova Scotia, too. And I'm sure you do, too, Ben, kind of in the spring where the days uh, well, I mean, you know yourself being over on this side, and I'm sure it's the same on that side. If you want to experience all four seasons, wait till spring or fall. Because <laughs> you could get literally yeah. all four seasons. You can get times in a day where it's more than warm enough to be going around in a t-shirt and enjoying the sun. And then as the evening comes in, it gets quite cool. And then overnight, you may even hit freezing temperatures again. And that's a lot of temperature to be de dealing with in the same day. And uh, Nova Scotia, 20 degree temperature within 24 hours was not unheard of. No, I was going to say, no. you and I have talked about off the podcast, 30 degree yeah. differences, 30 degrees Celsius, folks. That's like 80, 86 Fahrenheit uh, in a 24 hour period. Temperature difference. Like it could go from minus 15, minus 20 to plus 15, plus 20. Those are huge <laughs> swings in temperature. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and that's a lot to consider. And when you consider water, you know, the water that's running under the ice isn't frozen. So it is zero or above. And the ice above it could be quite thick and it's below zero. But when that water builds up, it's only for the ice to collapse and somewhere and build up. And that creates that extra, you know, pressure and it breaks up parts and it keeps the dam keeps moving is what happens. And it's it's tremendous. And that's that's what we wanted to, to sort of warn people about. Here, we're not looking at that same... Uh... Well, you're on the opposite end of that spectrum. You need to start yeah. looking for places with water. And me over here, where I'm probably going to be able to have an open campfire for a while before it becomes a concern, as soon as you start getting outside in the spring, you may have to start looking towards that because, one, you have the less water. And what we've talked about in that episode we did with Paul Schnur a long time ago where it was, you know, kind of our science day, we have this thing called spring crossover where all the water in a tree goes into new growth, goes out to the needles and leaves and stuff like that, leaves the wood real dry, causes a lot of times when it's easy to create forest fires. So now you have the trees going into green up, so they're already dried out. You're already in a dry area. You're starting to brew a real bad recipe there for runaway fires. And, and we had a lot of fires last year, so it's something to really consider. Um, 
so, I mean, it was only what, four or five years ago they had huge flooding here. Um, and it was a big deal. Like, you know, uh, a lot of the larger communities here were really suffering. I know out in Abbotsford, uh, I was doing some work with some of the guys out there, and they were reporting that they couldn't get to, to work in that because of the, of the flooding. This year, so far, it doesn't look like that's going to be a risk, but other risks are involved. So I think, I mean, the end result, what, what was our point of all this, is spring is coming. There is some unpredictable weather, but there's some things you really want to be aware of. And take a look at your local area and figure out what are the risks. Because if you're going, you know, to go camping and there's still snow and ice on the rivers and you're close to the rivers, be realized that those conditions can change a lot. And this is in the spring, in the next couple of months, probably for a year or two come April, probably get through March, but yep. come April and May, that's all breaking and moving and things are happening. Uh, so before we so, move on from the ice flow stuff there, uh, Red Bear Tactical joined this and I know you're familiar with this fellow. So just a couple comments from him. Apparently Badger Newfoundland was almost destroyed uh, years ago because of ice dams. Uh, head yep. roads totally cut off by spring ice dam floods around here. Lots of the roads here, ice roads and have been, and I've seen them thaw out and become impassable in a few hours, just from the temperature swings that we already talked about there. We don't have any snow pack here. Uh, here's talk. The fire bands will be on very soon. So apparently Newfoundland is still pretty dry over there. Uh, there already have been he's in Northern flare-ups. BC. Oh, he's in Northern BC. I thought he was over in Newfoundland. He's from Newfoundland. Oh, oh, okay. Misunderstood. Northern BC. Okay, my bad. Uh, yeah, well, Northern BC is always bad for fires. I mean, look at, like, the Slave Lake fires and a bunch of the other ones. I mean, there's always fires in the news come spring and summer in that area, which brings another good point to what we're talking about here tonight. And I know we're kind of scattering around, but it all comes back to one thing, is, you know, safety going out there in the spring. And if the weather has been abnormally bad, different for you through the winter that's kind of a red flag moment like here in nova scotia we're not used to that kind of snow at once you know what i mean like that's the snow we get in a year not in a weekend (laughs) and we're still like if you look at the for our forecast we're still getting our normal five to ten centimeter dumps several times a week you know what i mean temperatures are fluctuating up and down some of the days will be up to like maybe plus one while nights are down to minus 17 but this is odd for us. Like that that's normal, the you know, minus seventeen to plus one and five to ten five to twenty centimeters here and there. That's normal. But these massive amounts of snow is on normal, so that starts getting me wondering, one, what's spring gonna be like? And two, what's the weather going to be like coming in the spring? Does that mean we're gonna get far less rain? Or are we gonna get far more rain? I'm definitely a little more heightened when I'm starting to plan some of my outdoor adventures. Even now, because of the massive amounts of snow in the woods. I have to really watch where I go because it's, you know yourself, Ben, from being from Newfoundland, you could be walking along in the woods, you find the wrong spot, and all of a sudden you're in snow up to your neck. Yeah. And hope you can get out. (laughs) 100%. The uh, statement there about uh, Badger, I drove through that when it happened. And so I think it was like 2002, 2003. Um, And... uh, it was around when I graduated from college and started working in Nova Scotia. And I had gone home to visit. And the river over in Badger that goes over the, 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 the bridge that goes over the river was actually underwater and frozen in when I drove over. 
and houses on either side. There's pictures. You can Google Badger flood and freeze. It actually flooded the entire town and it refroze. And there was people. There's a a video of a guy standing in his living or in his, his his kitchen, and you can see his stove is halfway flooded and frozen in. Yeah, I I, I vaguely remember it when it happened. I'm not gonna lie. That's coming up on my college years. I wasn't as in tuned into what was going on in the world around me. Uh, but I do remember hearing about it. And I do remember a lot of the damage and destruction. Because as I've said in past episodes, my father usually did long haul trucking. Very frequently going to Newfoundland. I think he was over there. Not in Badger, but in Newfoundland at the time. And of course, I talked to him over so often. He was feeding me information back. And it was, like, really, really bad and destructive. Like, a lot of people lost their homes. Uh, properties were destroyed to the point where, like, you're never getting them back to the way they were going to be. You just kind of started over. Well, the, the province actually made a rule. They would help people rebuild, but only if they promised never to rebuild in the same location because it was considered now a floodplain. And they didn't want people building in the same location again and having to bail them out six months later. Or a year later. So they had to move a bit away from the road. And I don't know if everyone moved and I don't know what happened because a lot of them made the argument. They've been there 50 years and never seen that before. But, I mean, you know, from an insurance point of view. 40 plus it, years and I only remember a couple store, uh, snowstorms like this in my lifetime. But this is the thing. And maybe, once again, I'm diving down a rabbit hole here. But I'm going to ask a question. For those of uh, our listeners out there that actually get around into snow and stuff like that, is it just me? Or were the snowfalls in like the 80s and 90s way more than they were now, Ben? Like this kind of snow that we just had this last weekend or whatever it was, the three days at the 140 centimeters. I remember, or at least I have myself convinced, I remember snowfalls like that when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Maybe it's because I was short and the snow looked higher. I don't know. But I remember like the big plow ridges. I used to live in a community called Barney's River. And the only way the roads got plowed there, like we didn't have plows. We had graders. You know what I mean? No plows went down there. We had the graders. And they would make what seemed to me snow banks that were as tall as my house or taller. Basically what we got out there now. And I, I don't know. That, that's... To me, I have these ingrained memories like that used to be normal and then it went away and then we had nothing. I can remember summer or sorry, summers, winters here in Nova Scotia, where if we had enough snow to cover the ground, we were mm. lucky. And you were around for some of those because that's when you and I first started hanging out, like just to get a skiff of snow and it'd be gone in the afternoon, much like what you're getting now. But that was odd for here in Nova Scotia. And now it seems like we're going the other way again. And we're getting these massive heaps of snow. I know where I, I was from, we got a lot more snow than most places in Nova Scotia probably ever did. So even when I moved to Nova Scotia, I heard people saying, oh, we live in a snow belt of Nova Scotia. And I used to laugh because. <laughs> What's a snow belt? It. Is that an actual thing or is that just a term we made up over here to make ourselves feel good? Oh, probably. I have no idea. Uh, but like, I just knew that like the area I grew up in is high elevation Newfoundland and we got dumped on most years. We I I do remember piles of snow behind all the stores because the, the the front end loader that cleared our streets would take all the snow from Main Street and, and the neighboring streets and just carry it over and put it behind the stores. And I remember snow hills 
30, 40 feet high, like as high as these plows could pile it up, you know, seven or eight of these piles wide, probably a few hundred feet. And then they would have multiple rows of this. And once they got like two, three rows deep, we would go to the back row because nothing would get back there again. We'd hollow those bastards out. We, we made... <laughs> Well, we Ray, think, uh, Red Bear is just chiming in here. He said the snow in Newfoundland was always massive. The snow was sometimes as tall as telegraph poles or telephone poles in central Newfoundland in the 60s and 70s. And I remember pictures of that. Yeah. I do remember pictures of that. Uh, Nomad, uh, last week during the snowstorm, took him seven hours to get home, normally a two and a half hour, uh, doing quarter to a third the speed limit. Uh, yeah, I mean... I remember often waking up the snow snow drifts that were seven eight feet high, and that was not an unnormal from where I grew up. Um, not not being able to find your car was more rare. There was talks of my grandfather in the same town looking for his car, and they had a steel pole and they were putting it in the snow, and he found his car and he hit the windshield and broke it. Oh, that's my grandfather, not. Uh, not on my father's side but uh um yeah no it, it's i remember big snows like that but i guess once again we divulge a little bit into a rabbit hole so what does all this mean for us getting kind of somewhat half back on topic so yes the weather has been different that creates a few red flags what does that mean for spring one for me i'm getting more water just from the snow I have. But what does that mean for the weather coming for the spring? It means I'm going to be a little bit more observant and plan a little better looking at the future forecast before I go out there in the woods. I kind of joked about earlier here, I'm not going to go to the waterfalls in case we get a big, you know, the snow lets go, floods lakes, floods me. That's actually a real thing. Like if I, if it's still fairly cold and I see snow in the hills and stuff like that, and I'm going out and I'm in a lower lying area and there's supposed to be a heavy rainfall coming in, I may rethink that literally for that reason. If it rains up on those hills, mixes in with the snow, it pulls all that extra water, all that water's going to come downhill. It's going to go into the rivers, it's going to hit the lakes, the flakes are going to swell, they're going to hit the rivers going down again, they're going to swell, it's going to be bad news. If I'm not close to a river, no, I may not get swept away in the current, but swampy areas are going to be worse. I may get stuck in the woods somewhere, get into an area I can no longer get out of. You know what I mean? Because here in Nova Scotia, we got tons of water. You can't go more than a couple kilometers in any direction without hitting some form of water. You and I talked about this before. And I think me, uh, I don't know if it was me and you or if it was me and Rockwood. We sat down one day with a map and I think we found the longest running section was like 20 kilometers in a straight line before hitting a body of water. And it's the weirdest angle across the province. <clears throat> Yeah, there's, there's a statistic we were told in Search and Rescue, and I think it is 20 kilometers, 24 kilometers is the absolute furthest you can walk in a straight line, not hit a road, a power line, a coastline, or a lake. Uh, and if you hit any of those things and follow them, they will bring you to all the other things. Like, if you, you hit water, you hit a, a road, a power line, and follow it, it's going to bring you to safety. So if you ever get lost and you find one of these things, just keep following it. It's going to get you out somewhere. Um, a river, all rivers eventually end up in lakes and or the ocean. So if you follow those down to the ocean and you follow the coastline, you're going to hit a town because there's always towns and coasts. And I don't know what the furthest you can walk along a coast is before you hit a town, but it ain't that much. No, like, it's doable for sure. 
Uh, so a good question came from Danny here, Red Sand Adventures. What does it mean for spring fishing? And I wish we had Gary on here because he could know a little bit more. But this is going to change spawning. You know what I mean? These rivers, uh, a lot of like, I'm thinking brown trout, for instance, or uh, I'm trying to think what the other name of them is. Sea trout, I think is what they're more commonly known as. Anyway, they spawn up in the rivers. And if the rivers are flowing fast, it may hinder their efforts in getting to their normal spawning grounds. Uh, and I'm speculating here. I am not a biologist on any level of this. But I assume, you know, just, you know, A leads to B, B leads to C. If they all this flash flowing water, they may not hit the actual spawning grounds. They may come a little short. Uh, the rougher waters and the heightened water may actually destroy some of the eggs. They won't get fertilized as well. You're probably going to see a little bit of a decline in some of the fish life in a lot of our rivers and stuff. Providing that the snow, that like we do get all this extra water and stuff like that. There's also a chance the snow could melt softly or slowly and it may just bleed into the rivers and go out in the normal water cycle and not cause any problems. This is another side of what's going to happen, which is what I hope happens. But as we've said in the past, plan for the worst, hope for the best, and you're very rarely disappointed. But I mean, spring runoff generally means that there's organic material um, and soil and stuff that gets washed into the rivers. It does create erosion. It does change the landscape. Rivers are constantly changing. Uh, and this stuff gets in the river it does provide food for the fishes and stuff, and it will attract them to come up. Uh, but more water also means that even if there's the same amount of fish, there's, they're a little harder to find. Uh, and it means that the areas you might normally fish may not be where the fish are, are abstained because if the water's at different levels, they'll find different places that kind of hang out and hide out. Uh, and you'll have to play it by ear. Um, and fishing is, is uh, there's art people that would argue it. Fishing is, is a bit more of an art, in my opinion, than a science. But you can definitely use science to figure some of it out, um, you know. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't hazard to guess better or worse. I'm sure it's going to be a better for some, worse for others. Um, pay attention and be safe is the big things for that, for sure. September to November is the time. Okay, yeah. I got the spawning times wrong, a brown trout. That's just the one that came to mind because when um... – I know when fishing season starts here in Nova Scotia, it's usually around April 15th. And a lot of the places where I used to fish as a younger fuller was where the ocean met the rivers, which I'm thinking down in Marigamish. Um, the, the, the sea trout always seemed to be running at that time of year. So that's only what I was basing my opinion on. Once again, folks, I am not an expert in marine biology or river biology or whatever you want to call it. I'm guessing. That's why I wish we had Gary on here. Gary knows his stuff about fish. Like you said, fish is an art form more than a science. He may argue the other way. He seems to have this thing mapped out. I think there's a ton of luck in it, too, to be honest with you, because I don't have it. You and I were fishing using the same stuff, and I do remember somebody pulling fish out while I was just dangling worms, I think. I can't even remember what the hell I had for bait. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely luck and there's definitely you know but understanding fish nature and the environment definitely gives you an edge there's there's a a, a, a bit of both in there for sure um yeah I, I think the big thing is to to sort of really take take note of what the environment is like and understand that rivers aren't just affected by local weather but by weather upstream and so it might be good weather where you are and you figure, oh, it's not going to break. It's not going to be an issue. But if it happens to be 
different. Maybe they're getting rain upstream. This could cause a ripple effect all the way down the stream. And some of these rivers travel, I don't know, about hundreds of miles in Nova Scotia, but in the world, many of them do travel hundreds of miles. And so these, these effects will be felt quite a ways away. So just because we're Europe too, may not have had a lot of snow and, and rain, doesn't mean you won't be affected by flooding because of something further up coming down towards you. And so that's a risk even here. Maybe further up there has been more snow, but in the immediate areas, there has not been the snow and it will definitely have an effect here uh, in the spring. So, so that's, oh, sorry, I was gonna say, that's quite a bit about that. Do we want to talk about a few other quick things? That's and... what I was just going to say. I said, I think we kind of beat the dead horse here on snow and stuff. So why don't we move on a little bit? So this was just something we we had, I had mentioned that I had gotten. We were looking for what topics to go on. And this is, uh, I think it's called a tough built folding jab saw. And I'm thinking that because it's road on the side of it. And I picked <laughs> it up at Lowe's. <laughs> uh but I thought it was a neat concept. So it, uh, it's a folding saw. The blades that it uses are straight out of uh, a reciprocating saw. Like you can take the same blades. It's a little stiff to, to remove it, but they're interchangeable, which is great because if you're into going in the woods, knowing how hard it is, can be to, to get different blades. These are, a dime a dozen. I think you can get them at dollar store. You know you can get them at every hardware store. You can buy DeWalt. You can buy uh, Mastercraft. Uh, what? You name it. Diablo. There's Diablo. a ton of... There's... Diablos are really good. I know that's what I run in my recip saw. Yeah. Not so paid you... by them. If... Wish I was. Yeah. Nor, nor am I. But what we're getting at is it's quick replaceable. This cost me... 20 bucks American. Um, and uh, it doesn't weigh a lot. Like the metal up here that locks the blade in, it's pretty solid. Uh, but overall, it's pretty light. It's, it's got a little bit of shape. If you want to cut or prune a branch or just do a little bit, this will fit in your pocket. It would be quite use, easy to use. I think it's a good option. Think things like this. And what I think the point here really is, is not run out and buy one of these. This is the next best bushcrafting thing. I don't believe that's necessarily the case. Uh, you don't always have to go out and buy the ones that are branded for bushcrafting or branded for this or that. But there are some good ideas out there. So when you're walking through the hardware store next month or you're walking through somewhere and you see something, take a look at it and think, could this be a good alternative? So this is pretty smooth. There's nothing sharp or hooking that's gonna damage your equipment. You can easily carry this in your pocket uh, you could probably make a quick sheath for it and keep it on your belt. It's pretty smooth. I think it, you know, it's it's easy to put in many a place. Um, and this is the type of thing that I'm looking at all the time. I know you do too, Robert. Like, we see something and we think that's really cool. It's designed for that, but could it be used somewhere else? Oh, absolutely. Um, and that's kind of one of the mottos of bushcrafting is what can be used in a way it shouldn't be used well not in a way it shouldn't be used in a way it was never intended to be used i think it's kind of the old motto you know what i mean and once again one of these days we're gonna have to get mark young on here because he seems to be the king of coming up with diy projects 
making things into yeah. from stuff that were never designed for bushcraft. But this is another one of those. And I think this would be a great, you know, if somebody's looking for something, uh, a new piece of kit. It doesn't have to be this one, but something similar to this. A small folding saw goes a long way in the woods. Uh, spring, summer, winter, it's not even relevant to the, um, to the season. But, I mean... What we were talking about was a nice small folding saw. It does those precise cuts, or it makes neater cuts. Yes, you have your silky. I got a buck saw. There's bigger saws. They cut. But there's a difference between cutting like a six-inch log and an inch-and-a-half branch. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course, the silky's going to do it. But two or three pulls, you're going to be through it. It's hard to get nice, fine detail work. And where you may want to do this is if you're building shelters, or you're building some uh, tent pegs, or you're building pod hangers. Like... There's a lot of times when you may want to build something and you want to do a little finer job to it, but you may not want to whittle it out with a knife. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, a tool we've talked about for years, and, I, and, and I'll bring it up, is the Mora knife. Um, but if anyone knows the history of these things, these are very akin to... Um, the carpet knife or the uh, um, utility knives mm. you can buy at hardware stores where the blades break off. They're, they're, they were meant as a disposable knife, something that, that craftsmen would use to do some jobs. You know, you score some work, you do some drywall work, and you could dispose of it. So these were never meant to be expensive, durable, long-lasting knives. They were meant to be used by by carpenters and electricians and people like that but the bushcrafting world found them and said well wait a second the, the metal in it's pretty good it holds up pretty good like they do a lot of craft work with this stuff and so it became you know it has a good handle non-stick usually and it became the go-to for hundreds of people for bushcrafting oh there's, um, there's groups like mora modding communities where they add yeah. things and change stuff. It's a whole thing, folks. Like, if you want to do something interesting when you're late at night having a few adult beverages or something, look up Mora Modding. M-O-D-D-I-N-G. And go down that rabbit hole. It's fun. So, I mean, I think it's an important thought that, yes, there's, there is equipment out there that, that the bushcrafting world will sell you, that, that different uh, camp, camping sites will sell you and say, oh, this is the next tool you need to have. Uh, but sometimes it's the tool that wasn't designed for it that does a really good job. Um, and I find a hardware store is often a great source for that. The other place that's an awesome source and I use a lot is your average thrift store. And uh, if you're you're bored or if you're, you're not sure what you need some days, taking a walk through the thrift store and looking at things and thinking about things. I know Mark Young has gotten a ton of camping gear. From the thrift stores, especially when you come in to think about things like his cooking sets. Oh, absolutely. And he has great videos on that too, folks. We talk about Mark Young a lot. It's a fellow that both of us know. He's from Nova Scotia Bushcraft Gathering. Um, if you folks haven't looked him up on YouTube yet, I don't. I think he's still making videos. Uh, I seen one come up not too, too long ago. Maybe not as frequent as he used to. But there is tons of information there. And he is such a cool cat. You know what I mean? He's so... He's just a fun guy, honestly, for what it's worth. Fun guy. 
Well, I just funny. wanted to give a shout out to Mark. We talk about him a lot here. I figured we'd give him an official shout out there. So yeah, Mark Young, you can find him on YouTube. He does a lot of DIY stuff with you, uh, bushcrafting and a super knowledgeable guy. Uh, he took on some projects late, uh, in the recent years here, which kind of took him away from the bushcrafting community to a degree. Uh, he doesn't put as much time in as he wishes he could, but he's still there. He's still enjoying himself, and he's still a wealth of information if you can find some videos from him. Yeah, no, great guy. Uh, and I'm a, he's, he's a little bit of ASMR to, to, to watch. Yeah. Like his, his... Honestly, yeah. it was Mark Young that convinced me to buy a sewing machine. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I can believe that. Surplus stores. Uh, Red Bear really missed having a surplus store around. Surplus military gear, great for outdoor activities. And we, we used to have a couple of them here in Nova Scotia. The one off the highway closed down out by where you used to live. But uh, I think there's still literally the Army-Navy surplus up there in Halifax on uh, Greckle or whatever it is. I, unfortunately, as much as I absolutely love them, and I used to absolutely love them, I found it, like the Wonder on uh, 102 surplus, mm -hmm. it was called. Uh, when I first moved out there, they, they had a lot of hidden gems, and it was worth going in and checking things out. And the prices kind of got higher and higher. And then I found it hit a tipping point where the prices became so unmanageable, people stopped going. And then in order to stay in business, they charged even more. Uh, and it became to the point where I think people just stopped going. And uh, the, the Frenchies that was attached to it, I think, was supporting it for a few years. And then it just completely went yeah. under and that's very true ben the last couple times i went there some of the stuff i was buying i was literally going they're asking the same cost that i can get it brand new in package with warranty somewhere else so absolutely yeah. but um i went i went in one time and looked for the military sleeping sets and i think they were asking almost 200 bucks and when i opened them up like there were seams ripped out of them like the, the down was falling out of it and it, well, they weren't in good shape and they're like well it's a down sleep mat yeah but it's a useless thing yeah. sleep mat. It's like it's been i probably have to buy lovingly used a, a lot <laughs> i'd have to buy a couple of yours to, and put them back together to get what they used to be um and you can buy um new old stock sometimes on amazon for slightly more that would be in much better condition so or uh, eBay, if nowhere else. So just, you know, it's worth looking around. Um, and I still go in them every now and then I see them. Um, yeah, I still hit that one up in the Greco Street. If I ever get to Halifax and I'm bored. Uh, much like the other ones, a lot of the, the deals aren't there. But sometimes you can find some stuff you won't find anywhere else. That's more what I go in yeah. for is like the Odysseys. Or uh, Odyssey? Yeah, Odysseys. Oddities, not Odysseys. Oddities. But, but... I found that what their better deals in there oftentimes is their non-surplus stuff. They do have some like brand stuff that they bring in to supplement their stuff. And that's where there's some of the nicer stuff unfortunately is now, which, um, you know, is, it is what it is. I I've gotten some good stuff from them before. I had a really cool vest that I got from them for a while. I used for quite a while and, uh, enjoyed and a few other things, but yeah, so that's kind of it. That's, that's that's kind of our thoughts for the night absolutely so just before we end the episode off because i was going to ask you off air but i might as well ask you on here did you get to see my pictures with the snowshoes out uh briefly yes i didn't 
So, did you happen to see the yellow set that's made for ice, and did you see how the different uh, spike setup was on them? I'm going to look them up right now. Cool. So, this is kind of part of the spring thing, uh, semi-sorta. I mean, in the spring, it's still a good time to wear your snowshoes and get mobile out there. And if anybody's curious about the different types of snowshoes, I got a couple different sets myself on the uh, Atlantic Bushcraft Facebook page. If you go on there, go down a couple pay, uh, pictures, you'll see I put up five sets of snowshoes there. And from left to right, yeah. it's basically like mine, Melissa's, my ice ones, my, uh, my airways, and then just a set of handmade ones that was made out of some aluminum tubing and some fishnet. Uh, and I know I got another set around here, but I cannot find them. But it's just another set like the first set there, my blue ones, so. Yeah, my newest ones are sort of like your first set on that picture. Yeah, but you got the ones with the little riser on them and stuff, right? Uh, they do actually have a, a small riser. In so them, believe style it or not, that blue set, Ben, is one of those yeah. super sale sets from Canadian Tire that I sent you the link to. So a hundred yeah. and some dollars off, and man, they work great. Yeah. No, I mean, I've loved snowshoes and used them for years. Um, I didn't get to use them, the ones I bought this year, as much as I'd hoped to. Uh, but that's okay. I'll have them, and probably next year uh, I will be able to use them. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, that was the only other th thing I thought I'd tie on to the end of this, just because it was relevant and it was recent. But yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on the spring thing. I mean, it was very, it was kind of a mixed bag of stuff here tonight, much as it is with much of our episodes. Uh, a lot of thoughts we wanted to get out. Um, thanks once again to everybody that joined us here. Red Bear, Danny, uh, who else do we have there? We had Nomad, I know, uh, RM Shoots. That's the other fellow there. RM Shoots joined us again there tonight. So walk, uh, thank you all you folks that joined us in the comments there and gave us your insight. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have a whole lot more on my thoughts for these ones. It was just a good quick topic for the night. Cause honestly, it was one of those 50 50s. I didn't know if the internet was going to stay up or not. So <laughs> It did. Yay. And it did. It's working great. It's actually working better now than it has in a while. So maybe they fixed some of the problems we were having previously. On that note, they did say that there was something wrong in the pole out here just in front of our houses and that us, like a cluster, uh, our five homes probably haven't been getting the proper speed for the last year or so. So maybe things are starting to improve for old Roberto in this far out nowheresville that I live. Fingers crossed, buddy. Fingers crossed. <laughs> But anyway, folks, I think that's it for us here tonight. So for me, at least, I'm going to say good night. Get out there, have fun, be safe. Let us know your stories. If you have questions, reach out to us. If you have something you want us to talk about, reach out to us as well. And, of course, you can find out how to reach us all down there. Night, all. Have fun. Night, folks. See you next week.